Hello there. How are you doing? Welcome along to the podcast Sport and Life. Thank you for hitting on the button. Fantastic to have you here on the podcast. Ed Draper with you, sports broadcaster in the UK. Thank you to the sponsors as well. Local company to me, Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham and Serene AV, who are specialists in some of the finest home entertainment brands, providing solutions based around high quality customer service and installations. Check out B&O underscore Cheltenham on Twitter and Instagram, Bang & Olufsen Cheltenham website as well. And remember through that company, Serene AV is this kind of kind of spiel intimates there. You can get other equipment other than the fine Bang & Olufsen sort of options that you may have through Serene AV. There can be bespoke home entertainment solutions, big screens, whatever you're looking for, whatever fits your vision and your budget. Check out Jason Briggs and his fine team. All football fans, I believe, are probably getting excited about England in the quarterfinals of the European Championships this coming weekend. I know they finished their season for the amateur team. They run AFC Cheltenham out in Bishop's Cleave Village to the north of Cheltenham. So I hope they're well. hope they can help you as well if you're looking for some good equipment. I think it's sort of centred our focus, hasn't it, on good audio, good entertainment at home over the past 18 months, pretty much getting on for 18 months of lockdown, etc., etc. Also, thank you to Cytoplan for their ongoing association with the podcast. Cytoplan being a food-based supplement company that my father, Dr. Mark Draper, who is a general practitioner, a uh, GP doctor, and also a micronutritionist that he's worked as a consultant with them for 20 plus years, should stress always that we pay for our supplements albeit at a discounted rate which we can offer for you as well i'm a big fan of the immune complete too as a fulcrum a basis foundation for my sort of immune health on top of obviously the 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 essentials like sleep exercise and good nutrition whole foods organic food if you can um a variety of different types of food but i tend to uh, just top it off that bridge the gap my dad calls it with immune complete too which is a multi Vitamin, vitamin, you may call it, depending on where you are in the world, that includes vitamin D3, C, of course, but there's trace elements as well, like selenium and zinc, which is, I know zinc's come up in a lot of conversations around COVID-19. So it's kind of a holistic one-stop shop. And I top that off with fish oil and then sometimes get glucosamine as well. But anyway, you can go for whatever bespoke sort of multivitamin, vitamin, or anything specific, whole range at cytoplan.co.uk, C-Y-T-O-P-L-A-N.co.uk, food-based supplements, which means the theory is they're designed to be digested as food would be. It's a better chance of getting into your system and uh, bolstering that immune system, which we're all conscious of at the moment. Hopefully that'll be a positive legacy of the past year or so that maybe we become more health-focused in exercise, rest, and of course, maybe looking at micronutrition, whether we're getting the, the things we need from the food that we eat because of maybe depletions in soil and things like that. Anyway, cytoplan.co.uk, the discount code is DRAPER10R, D-R-A-P-E-R, all capital letters, numerals one zero and the capital letter R. Cytoplan is spelled C-Y-T-O-P-L-A-N. Right, here is a kind of random podcast. I'm very rarely interviewed or at least not on record. I do stuff with students, kind of more advice really on, on my career path, which journalism, sports journalism, isn't necessarily a linear, predictable pathway in the sense that maybe my brothers who have been in law and medicine, there's a sort of idea of where you're going. If you do X, you'll get Z, X, Y, Z. It's um, not quite the case with sports journalism. A lot of voluntary work experience, like different training in, in newspapers, TV, radio, now work for Sky Sports as a broadcast. Do a lot of digital stuff though around YouTube, similar to the podcast here I do as a labor of love on the side. 
but it's it's an interesting conversation I had with Whole Man Academy, also going into my health principles and, and what I do is try and tick over exercise wise and the challenges around sleep for me doing shift work over the past 20 years, lates, earlies, 3 a.m. rises, often 2 a.m. bedtimes, things like that, the sort of complicated picture, which as you get older, becomes more of a challenge to, to hold those health pieces of the jigsaw together in that context. But it's a good conversation with Anthony Asprey of the Whole Man Academy. Check them out online. It's a kind of group basically designed to give people men in particular sort of bit of traction bit of advice bit of camaraderie bit of um brotherly sort of friendship i guess in lots of ways but also some wise counsel i know david gandhi the model is an ambassador for whole man academy and anthony's lives in the cotswolds now moved out of london former city worker in finance now kind of re restructuring redeveloping himself i suppose like a lot of us comes to that conclusion when your 40s about looking after yourself but here it is good conversation really enjoyed this anthony asprey of the whole man academy talking to me ed draper sports broadcaster in the uk uh, so this is the whole man academy podcast episode 76 my guest today is uh, i'm pleased to say my friend ed draper who's also happens to be a sky sports presenter uh, journalist podcast host ambassador for the Cheltenham Wellbeing festival and a dad and a football lover which we're going to get into first so ed how are you and where are you mate I'm very well. I'm very happy after that long list of uh, of my my skills. It's uh, I would say, you know, kind of uh, almost feel like you're kind of my promoter there. So that's fantastic. I am in my spare room, probably like a lot of people. I've actually been going into work at Sky Sports throughout the pandemic, but I've been doing the podcast, which I kind of vowed I was always going to do in person for the for the most part from the spare room. So I've got a, li- a little setup now here, but yeah, I'm in the spare room. Come come office, as I'm sure like a lot of us have been. Um, but I'm yeah, I'm good. I'm good. It's good to good to be here and and reinvent night and hopefully we'll do it again in person soon like we did yeah. last year we we saw each other i was gonna say it was it was what's it january last year i think um yeah when when we all you know you, yourself myself and um and james golden our friend uh spoke at uh spoke at a, a kind of an all men's event up in the um up in the countryside which was which was the company's first ever men's event which kind mm. of was, was nice for all of us and uh, who'd have thought that it'd been a year before we got got back to these kind of events? But um, well, let's jump into. I always like to be topical, and I always like to uh, record podcasts very close to release, which means sometimes you're in the danger of not having one because someone catches. <laughs> but also, it means it's it's very current. So let's yeah. talk very briefly about the football at the moment, which we know, um, you know, England are now got uh, Germany. Um, so this is going to go out on Friday. England got Germany next. Is it Wednesday? I think it is Tuesday. Tuesday, Tuesday five p.m. our time. I think in the UK. So what's it like? Because weren't you at Wembley uh, very recently with a footy? Yeah, I was really excited, actually. I've been inside Wembley broadcasting for Matchroom Boxing when Anthony Joshua fought Alexander Povetkin. And that was a previous career highlight. But for Sky Sports News on Tuesday prior to the Czech Republic game, I was actually at Wembley four till seven on air in the build-up, which might seem bizarre because obviously as a broadcaster, you want to be live when the game's on. But obviously on Sky Sports News, people are watching ITV for the main coverage. So that was a great slot to have because people were tuning into us for team news build-up and just being there. And there was only 22,000 in the stadium versus the 80,000 plus capacity, but there was people milling around. It was quite genteel, I think, relatively because England had already qualified, yeah. but it was, it was just fantastic. That was a real kind of cool career highlight because for me, some of those, those defining moments where I wanted to get into sports journalism were as a heartbroken kid of eight, nine and Italia 90. And then yeah. Euro, Euro 96 with my mates, get my nan to buy us beers and, and watch the, you know, the games against West Germany in 96. And we lost, of course, the positive memories of the Netherlands. And yeah. then the ni- 98 heartache where I'd sort of snuck into a pub to watch that one. And he's sort of like these England tournaments sort of chart your evolution, I think, as a, as a boy and a young man through. And, and obviously it's usually been punctuated by despair and gloom and, and then that, that wave of anticipation and excitement. So for me, 
yeah, marking that was a real career highlight to be at a major tournament. Because I think, bizarrely, although I'm a Manchester United fan and, and love football, love playing it, I think playing is my favourite thing. I think the international tournaments really captured my imagination as a kid. Yeah, yeah, I think it's, I was thinking back to those, um, it was even, was it Mexico 86? Um, yeah. And, uh, and I've actually got, uh, I've got kind of the T-shirt memorabilia from some of the World Cup things. And you do remember as a kid, those are your real times. And that's why I know you said about the fans being back. It's so important. I know when I interviewed Neil Mellor, uh, what was it, three, three, four months ago now, the ex-Liverpool ex player, for those that, that, uh, that don't know, but he was saying mm. how when he was speaking to the other footballers, how they were desperate to get fans back because it's just not the same when you're, you know, they score a goal and you just get... Because <laughs> it might as well just be us playing in an empty stadium. Yeah. Um, so yourself with, um, I wanted to talk first about getting into um, the presenting side of it. I know you um, you, you weren't, didn't go straight into that because you studied sports science at Loughborough, wasn't it? Yes, that's absolutely right. I mean, I think like a lot of other people, I wanted to be a sports person, would love to be a footballer. And I kind of, I probably regret in a sense I don't think I would have made an elite level player but I regret my teen years maybe not focusing as much as I could have done could I have made it to league two or something like that that would have been fantastic just to have achieved that but yeah. when that sort of ship had sailed I think the next best thing I always looked at was sports journalism my favorite topics were English and, and sport at school but then I, I wanted to kind of just give myself a generic undergraduate so I did sports science and English at Loughborough which was basically one of the only places you could do what I like. So was, you could yeah. do sports science with everything at Loughborough, anything you want, you can combine it with um, sports science at Loughborough, sports science and maths, engineering, whatever you want to be, drama, you can mix it up. So Loughborough is just kind of the sports science university that you can you can marry with other things. And then played football, coached football there, did a little bit of writing for the magazine and then went on to do sports journalism. Because while I was uh, at university in the summers, I was going out to the United States to coach football kids camps stuff like yeah. that in, in Ohio which was which was good fun but they, they actually said to me there's a journalism school out here if you're looking to get into it, which is really good so I went over there on a scholarship and cut my teeth in a way doing a master's in the states but then covering American football for a, I remember a Friday night show called Gridiron Glory on on local tv WOUB tv I was just I was just thinking yeah. you said that do you know anything about it no, I didn't. And it was kamikaze because um, I did. I mean, a little bit. I, I'd followed it a little bit on Channel yeah. 4 and stuff, I think, as a kid. But it was um, not the, you know, all the routes, as they say in the in the US, that you have to, you know, kind of unpick. And we had to go out and film the first half and then come back and, and spit out kind of commentary of the highlights on set with the anchor. They would call it the anchor. We call it the presenter. Yeah. And um I just remember I was trying to read my notes. I just dried up completely midway through the first what, first hit that I ever did live on that. And it was just, that was actually a really good experience. Because like, you dive straight into the deep end and everything else has been relatively easier since, particularly coming back to the UK after that and working my way through BBC local radio and some digital outlets before, before getting to Sky. So I think that was actually quite a good way around to do it. And obviously the Americans thought it was hilarious. At one point I did what they call play-by-play -play commentary on baseball because everyone else was away. And I, there was people in those days, it was 2005, six, it was like transistor radios they're walking around with on their ears, just cracking up, <laughs> listening to this English guy trying to make sense of the baseball. So it was actually a really good experience. And then coming yeah. back and, and, you know, doing sports I was more familiar with like rugby and football and cricket was, was relatively easy. I just wonder what is that like? Because, um, I know, funny, I was just writing some of the blurb of what we were talking about, but I know even for me in in this kind of doing live things and I'm doing talks for, for companies that live and you have that, sometimes you have a, what you're saying and you have a little voice in your head at, at the same time because you, you're mindful if you've said something wrong or whatever, but I'm not doing it to huge audiences. So I just wonder what it's like for yourself when there are, you know, three millions of people watching and, and you're, you know, the spotlight's on you. What's that like? 
it's strange. I was talking to my wife about this. I actually quite enjoy, and, and she's, because she's an introvert, she doesn't think, she's thought that I love public speaking, things that I haven't done. I always get the anxiety. I think a lot of people get that anxiety. But in terms of TV and radio, as someone who had, I would say, a very busy mind, I quite like the centering effect of being live because it means that I can't think about a million different things. Yeah. I, I have to sit still for a bit. I, I'm someone who likes to move around a lot as a person. I don't, you know, physically and psychologically, I don't like to kind of sit and, and sort of do focus, you know, the idea of sitting in a laptop for nine hours to just focus on something would be very difficult for me. But in those moments when you're live, you have to be concentrated. And actually at Sky Sports, you're almost more so because you've got a voice in your head. You have uh, someone who's a director who's telling you what to do, telling everyone else what to do, where the camera shots are going to be. You have a, a director's assistant who's counting down to say the end of a, an interview segment from a, a player or whatever, or, or counting down to the next junction that you have to talk to for commercial break. So there's a lot going on. So actually, bizarrely, in that chaos, I find a bit of peace, which is quite strange, I think, in the, uh, in the but it's, the people are very different. And as you get older, you realize that we all appreciate different things. But it was, yeah, there is that, that sense that sometimes you, you do have a sort of third person in there where you're thinking, if I was watching me, particularly if you're, if you're working your way up, because, you know, if you work in YouTube and things now, people can be their own bosses. But when you've got bosses to impress, I suppose, as a part of you thinking, oh, what would that boss like or this like or, you know, so I think yeah. there is sometimes that. Um, but the best times are probably when you're you're not reading autocue when you're ad living, because then you're in sort of the guess the, the sort of flow, as they say, a little bit and just trying yeah. to up, update the sport. But it's yeah, it's an interesting one, actually, because I don't. I think as a, an extrovert, I think you still get that anxiety about public speaking that introverts get, but I think you probably f get more from it when you do it. You feel more of a, a sort of rush. So it's a different, yeah. maybe a different experience just from people I speak to and how they experience different things. Yeah, I, I think that's important for, um, you know, guys listening just in general life, as well as those that sometimes are expected to do presentations. It might only be to a few people, but, um, you know, I know quite a few public speakers or people that are in the, you know, the public eye that say, they're literally shitting themselves before they go on uh, and mm. or people that are singing and stuff. But once they get on there, that stops. Mm. Um, so it, it is a good reminder that, you know, it doesn't matter who you're watching on telly. The likelihood is that beforehand they get some kind of jitters, something going on. I was going to ask you, what about um, I, I mentioned to one or two of the people who we were having on the pod this week. And I always say, what questions would you like me to ask? And one of them was about, have you had any epic fails where you have kind of, as you said, you've dried up whilst you're on Sky Sports or just said completely the wrong thing? Well, that was, yeah, the coat of my teeth, that was an epic fail with um, with with that in terms of being on WOUB TV in southeast Ohio. Then there was a time when I used to, sometimes you pick up phrases in life and you, and you my, actually a relative of mine's a doctor and he didn't know how to spell neck. He's been spelling neck, K-N-E-C-K, -E which is quite <laughs> funny through, for all these years because he felt it, he thought it was off the same route as knee and things yeah. like that and knowledge. So he'd been doing it, which is hilarious. But um there was yeah, there was another time when I used a phrase that I wasn't really sure what it was, but we're at the V-Fest in Chelmsford, Essex for Absolute Radio. It was Virgin Radio when I joined. It was Absolute Radio after that. I was doing the sport on the Christian O'Connell breakfast show. And I said something like, yeah, someone handed it to me. And I was like, yeah, great. We're all three sheets to the wind here. And then there was a consternation. Everyone thought, because that's apparently means drunk. But I thought it meant just like, you know, flying high, buzzing <laughs> on the atmosphere. So I said that. And then apparently there was a lot of feeling like, what, it's seven in the morning. Why is this guy, why is everyone drunk? Of course. Yeah, and probably the fact you're at a festival probably was actually feasible in a sense. So people might have uh, might yeah. wondered about that. But there was, yeah, it was that. I'm just trying to think of um, of epic fails. I mean, there's there's things you get wrong that you just kick yourself about, like facts you say, or as you say, when you're in free flow of conversation, you might say the wrong team, the wrong name. There's one recently actually where there was a tease and it was scripted to break, and it was something about Harry Kane. 
But for some reason, I said Harry Redknapp. And I think that must be a mental tick of just the fact I've said Harry Redknapp throughout my career so many times. Yeah. That that, just... there, must, there must be an automatic, automatic kind of like connection. But then everyone was like, Twi so you go on Twitter and someone's like, oh, what are you talking about, Harry Redknapp? Or, you know, yeah. the England right. captain, Harry Redknapp. That's the half the fun of it, though. And I just wonder, the other question was, and you touched on it, about just that thing of having someone in your ear. Because mm. that, for a lot of people, must be like, wow, that must be really... I, I guess it's like a lot of things. You get used to it. But I just wonder what that like for you, especially when you started trying to listen to that and present at the same time. I think it's really fatiguing because I think it is repetition, like most things in life. I think, you know, we have different aptitudes, but we can get better at things. I think you become quite selective in what you hear and you almost have an active hearing sort of part of your brain and a, and a sort of passive one. And you kind of pick up on the things that are relevant to you that aren't about the cameras that are more specific to what you're doing next and what you who you need to speak to, yeah. what links you need to read, um, whether, when the break's coming up, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, is there one more question for this guest before you move on? So you kind of learn those key things, um, but it is an evolution. Yeah, I think at the start, it's very fatiguing. I think mentally it can be very tiring to hear that. And I think there is actually, it's interesting, you don't, you get to a point where, to do a lot of late shifts and earlies, you never, it's never kind of not fatiguing. It's always a good workout for your brain, but you reach a level where you can, you can deal with it. But I think yeah. it's still after you've been live for a number of hours, because you get commercial breaks, but you're still kind of on set. So you don't really feel relaxed per se in, in those breaks. So I think it's, you still feel a kind of mental, weariness afterwards which Austin. is yeah yeah it's interesting well, actually, you've obviously been reading my notes because I, what I wrote about next was about you I know you often had those early mornings where you're having to uh, from from Cheltenham then commute to um, is a Sky Sports studio in is it in near Gatwick am I just making that up or no it's, it's near Heathrow West, okay. West London yes close. yeah <laughs> no because I used to live in Twickenham and I moved out actually you know it's, it's typical kind of way life turns out I was doing rugby reporting on pitch side for Sky, then Sky lost the rights to uh, BT, and then I got a job that I'd sort of coveted for a while, but bizarrely happened when I'd moved out of London was was Sky Sports News, which is centered in the studio 90 99% of the time. And I did, I have had different, my brother's lived in Isleworth near to the studio, so I've stayed at his house, my aunt's in Ealing as well, so I can mix it up. Yeah. But yeah, there is there are times when you have to, to leave Cheltenham at 3 a.m. to be there at half four or something like that, which, it's, it's difficult, but I mean, I guess the roads are empty unless they close the motorways, which anyone who gets up early or, or works yeah. late knows that the, they have a kind of habit, the highway agency of, of closing things impromptu, which can be can be tricky when you're, you're bleary eyed and not knowing where you're going. Mm. Um, but yeah, so we that can be that can be challenging, I think. And we work different shifts. Some people have set patterns, but a lot of us work varieties. And I think it's funny when I mean, we'll get on to health and well-being, but I think that is something that I've realised that I've been able to maintain exercise and, and things like that, not to an elite level, but just for my own maintenance and well-being. Yeah. And I think the sleep, I hadn't realised until the last couple of years how integral that is to, to health and well-being, because I think it's a cumulative effect, like lots of things in life, isn't it? If you if you don't monitor it and don't try and get extra sleep where you can, you realise that you, you get to a mind state and a physical state where you're sort of down the hill and you don't realize how you got there but it's something that i've been aware of matthew walker we've talked about and i know you and i about his his research and i think it's the university of berkeley into sleep and how important it is and foundation for all health so you, yeah. you can do all the, all the all the rest of it's kind of window dressing if you're not getting that right so i've been i've been increasingly aware of that and trying to kind of get it right but it's, it's tricky my wife can sleep whenever she wants it's interesting people are different but yeah if i have an early shift i find it very hard to to go to sleep because i think naturally i sleep around 11 half 11 and i find it right. difficult to waver too much yeah and i think that's an important point i know from people that um i've either done kind of when i speak about morning routine and things and you go back to everybody's different and you mm. know you can't tell everybody they should go to bed at 10 o'clock because some people just aren't made that way and are kind of call it a night owl 
and other people like my partner Emma can be up at five o'clock pretty much without any hassle as other people find that really difficult so mm. that's always one of those things we say to guys that are trying to get their their health their wellness their mindset all sorts is remember that what works for your mate might not work for you um, mm. something that they're eating or drinking or doing doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be your your motivation no. and I know it, you said um uh, I, I was looking through, I always do a bit of research about the, your instinct that physical and mental health are intrinsically interlinked. And yeah. I think, um, you know, it might take people to, a while to kind of, um, kind of ponder on that one. But it is that thing of you know, your, your mindset and your, you know, doing your exercise and your fitness. And how do you keep all that going yourself? Well, I, I sort of have been very individual. It's interesting you say that. And I think certainly just on the sort of collective well-being thing i think yeah because everything you read about self-development i'm interested in that listen to tony robbins different people they'll often say to you start with a routine and if you don't have a routine so for example a job like mine it's different shifts different times it's very hard because then you sort of like that makes you feel more, almost more anxious because you're like well should i get up at five in the morning of course you shouldn't because you've gotten at two in the morning so why would you get up at five <laughs> it's like you know that's that, that's nonsense because you they, what they never say is if you're getting up at five in the morning to do meditation press-ups and all this kind of stuff you should probably be going to bed at nine or ten so it's whether you know and getting a good night's sleep so it's things like that that i factor in i've um it was actually bizarre timing actually i just moved this microphone i've um been reading this book move which is uh by caroline williams who's i think a scientist or a science journalist right. speaking to scientists and just talking about the effects and the actual scientific physiological connections between the brain and body and how we think there's a feedback loop currently constantly between the body and mind and the mind is sort of like just a control center but actually a lot of it is dictated to by the um by the body and the state of the body so for me it's being you know i like to do maybe three cardiovascular things a week if it's a couple of jogs and a swim or three jogs yeah. maybe 20 25 minutes half an hour just fit them in where i can again be realistic and I, I try and do some kettlebells a couple of times a week but i also know that if i am tired if i've got up at three in the morning and had a few hours a night don't try and do any heavy weights or anything because you probably pull something and yeah. go go for a, sometimes a long walk is actually better for you to to just clear the air and clear the cobwebs so i try and exercise a few times a week i try and think about longevity i've got a lot of friends who exercise sporadically and then run two marathons in a weekend or something and, that, and, then, and then are bedridden for about two weeks <laughs> afterwards so I try, yeah i try and think long term i just turned 40 i try and think can i be mobile and doing things till i'm 80 and there's cool stuff about cardiovascular you only need to be out out of breath like for 10 minutes on three separate occasions in the week or you don't have to do these sort of mammoth which yeah. i think it, being a bloke i think there's a lot of machismo sometimes we get tempted into these these things which is cool because some people get a huge psychological benefit from achieving those things but i think over the long course i think little and often is is always served me well with exercise yeah and that, that's it's a bit like when you go back to you know eating healthily and you say you know one salad isn't going to make you healthy but if you're mm. you know, consistent with these different things i would say it's like the compound decisions isn't it um, yeah you know that that kind of exercise and i know um again i spoke about this yesterday to a, to a group of people about finding what you enjoy because i know you like tennis and you know if, if it's playing five-side football and these things so it's it's so important for me when you're looking at the kind of overall you know, picture of how someone's trying to stay healthy in their mind and their body is on the physical side of it is mm. finding what you enjoy and not you know you don't you don't want to have to be like oh i don't like doing this but i have to do it like listen you know if it's dancing do it whatever it is uh yeah. or, you know I, I do stuff with the kids where you're out in the garden running around as well so it kind of uh, ties them out as well yeah cool. <laughs> but you said about you know getting outside how important it is you feel for like the uh what's the word like the health boosting effects of just just being outside yeah, massively. I mean, the research into into that is is great. And I suppose, 
and I don't, you know, we shouldn't live the lifestyle of cavemen because people point out to me they only live to 35. So you don't want to be too, too kind of, um, you know, evangelical about trying to be yeah. caveman lifestyle. But you think human beings are, are designed, and actually it's been a big factor the last year, hasn't it, when a lot of people around the world have had to stay indoors or been told to stay indoors, is we forget, I think, psychologically, daylight in the morning gives us serotonin, makes us feel good. Being outdoors tunes us into Mother Nature, which is calming and relaxing. We typically, even in a city, will see trees, parks, bushes, whatever we, we might encounter. So it just makes us feel connected for me anyway at least and again I don't want to kind of um I guess uh, prescribe it exactly like you've been talking about for everyone individually but I also think you know it's a big thing vitamin d is a, is a huge thing vitamin mm -hmm. d3 in particular what we get from the sun we can take supplementation but a lot of people don't take supplementation so through the winter months we have to do that because if we're going out with just our little face poking out from a raincoat and you know it's in England it's grey for about four months so you're not actually getting much UV light anyway yeah. so you have to take supplements in the in the, in the winter but I think there's research actually Dr Ranulph Crook who is part of the Cheltenham Wellbeing Festival he's from he's a GP locally but runs an optimal health clinic so there is some suggestion you can stock up on vitamin d over the summer months so if you right. get out in your shorts and t-shirt over the summer and get some of the sun where, where where you can if you're working from home at the moment can you pop into the garden take a call whatever it might be yeah. um and just be aware of that and it's specific as well because we talk a lot about race and, and race doesn't exist but obviously the, the difference what we're talking about often is melanin in skin and if you've got yeah. dark darker skin in particular you will need more sun exposure relative to someone with less melanin in their skin so there's there's important health benefits to be to being outside in in my opinion it's just yeah getting some fresh air isn't it as well it just feels right and it's often allied to movement so i suppose you get a double whammy that's that's one of the important points about um you know i know quite a few people now that are working from home and my my discussion with them and kind of pointing out is that a lot of people then don't have if you if you don't have the commute you don't you know either walk to the station or walking around the office and you're walking maybe at lunchtime to get something a lot of people are going from bed to you know uh, box room mm. <laughs> a laptop which probably isn't in the right place and it's affecting your neck and then you've got it where you're just eating dinner at, at home and you're not going for those walks i'm trying to say to people like you said even if it's a phone call or one of the guys we're doing coaching with on on if you're on zoom say like he's got a peloton bike like yeah. put, your, put your um computer if you can on and just just tick over on the bike so you're getting some exercise it's mm. it's all these little things and uh, and i know it's a, it's that thing of you know being in this uh let's call it modern world where it is not encouraging us to get out and do the the, the movement and be particularly physical um and i wonder when you're in the studio because i guess you're in there for is it long shifts that you do and therefore do you kind of feel like you need to get up and and, and shake it around a bit yeah i do actually I'm, i mean my, it's funny my father-in-law and uh, family members have always said to me that i never sit still for very long when i'm sort of people's houses i'll get up and move around and things like that and actually yeah commercial breaks there's a few guys there's tony Wrighton who's got a podcast called zestology is one of the fellow presenters he goes and does like stretches on the kind of little fence rail we've got there and but I, I tend to just move up and walk around just to talk to people around the office because we've got a studio that's situated in the heart of an office where people have got their computers sort of banked behind you. So you can right. wander off, you get a three minute, four minute commercial break, depending on how much advertising we've got that particular month. Um, and then, yeah, you, I, I, I like to do that. I do think it makes me feel just generally mobile because that's the thing is people's lives, the modern life is, you can't just sort of go out and wander around the hills if you've got a job to do, but you can constantly get up and and maybe it's the, the catalyst is having your office in a spare room upstairs and then you walk downstairs to get a cup of tea walk back up yeah. during the day just just little things and and popping out to shops if you can pick your kids up you know pick them up from school if you yeah. can walk great i mean we're lucky that that's but that sort of decisions you start to make in life you, you don't think about 
the headlines, which are for us, we can move further out of Cheltenham, get a bigger house, but actually could we then walk to school? How much time would I spend in the car versus at the moment I spend a lot of time getting to work? Do I want to spend yes. more time? And it's all those factors of your life. I suppose you start to think the little things mount up those cumulative cumulative effects. And it's things like moving actually, because I, I had um, thrombophlebitis three years ago. I played football in a game and then went on holiday and I got sort of swollen. It wasn't a bad clot, but the inside of my left knee. Right. And from that point on, I got very conscious of if you're sitting in a car for two hours, when you get out, even if it's one or two in the morning, when you get home, do, uh, you know, to get on the exercise bike, do five, 10 minutes just to get the blood sort of stop yeah. pooling and then, or go for a walk or whatever it might be. And I've noticed that is a huge thing for, for how you feel after you've been cramped in a car, for example, which a lot of people may be, because I know that public transport is down at the moment. People are taking to roads. I think we're now at 104% in the UK of previous capacity of traffic before the pandemic. So yeah. people are certainly driving a lot. Well, also it's the, the flying. I know um, for years, I, I didn't really understand much about things like compression socks and how important they were. Um, and I know mm. they got very popular with, um, not necessarily to, for the blood flow, but for... Um, for people doing running as well with the with the sleeves and the um and and kind of the across your calves as well mm. so it's something that um i i'm always one of these people that i i can't look too deeply into science things because i just glaze over so <laughs> i just need someone to tell me is it effective or not and then i'll i'll go from there um mm. but i know you said about fireside football and one of the things that even you mentioned earlier i used to find and i've discussed recently was things like football and stuff like you say Whatever else is going on in your life, usually when you're playing that, you forget about all those things. Yeah. You know, when I was in my 20s, I think at the time I was splitting up with a girlfriend and it was a painful kind of break. But I realized for that 90 minutes plus, you know, like that, the, the difficult thing you were going through, that challenge had disappeared because you were just yeah. playing on football. Yeah, it's so mentally um, such a big break. Tennis to a latter extent, but I'm not a very good tennis player, but football in particular, I don't care what level it level it is. If it's particularly five-a-side, I had this indoor game that, that is yet to be resurrected because of the uh, restrictions, but it was it was indoors and you went in goal for 10 minutes of the app. So five minutes every half hour you were in goal and then you played out, outfield for the rest of the hour. But just intense, the ball never went out of play. It's yeah. So it's literally like your mind is on this thing. You're just chasing it around. And for me, and I, I have tried meditation. I do a little bit of mindfulness. I actually do a little bit of my daughter actually to help her get to sleep in the evening. But I do find that in terms of switching on my focus on that moment, you're not thinking about earlier on. You're not thinking about later yeah. on tomorrow, what you've got. You're just thinking about that game. And, and also there's a physical challenge in moving your body. You're competing, which I think is good. A little bit of contact. You like that as a, as a man. We like a little bit of yeah. that contact and physicality. And you're, and you're also just, yeah, I think, and when you come out of it, you feel physically exhausted, but mentally refreshed. I mean, I don't know if you, you find that with it. That's why Completely. I did it. And that's what I missed. Um, you know, I, I wasn't playing football. It's funny. I moved away to the countryside and then basically stopped playing football because um, mm. I, was, I was working at weekends and stuff. But that's what I used to find I loved. And then I, I started doing Monday night five-side football. And yeah, it was that thing. You'd, you'd come off the pitch and you'd be, doesn't matter what weather it was, you'd be sweating because you'd been non-stop. And also it was that competition. You know, I'm now 42, be 43 in a couple of weeks' time. But I was competing against lads that played in the first team of one of the local teams. And they were in their 20s. But yeah. what, what I realised also was it was I, I was always very fast at running anyway. So I hadn't particularly lost that. But I, I, when I was younger, I didn't appreciate those things that now I came off. And I was like, wow, I really enjoyed challenging myself and mm. having a plan and kind of, you know, putting yourself through your paces. And you'd come back, have dinner, and you'd really feel like you'd earned it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you really sort of enjoy enjoy that food and, and that relaxation afterwards. What's interesting, I think, about 
when we talk about developing ourselves and trying to get better in life, I think they say that learning something new is, is it good? And I've tried to do a little bit of boxing training actually through a former colleague of mine, Johnny Nelson, remotely during the pandemic, he's got a, a program. So I've done a bit of that and trying to learn punches and combinations. And so that's a different thing psychologically. It's been a good challenge, but actually with football and tennis and ball games, I feel like it's never the same thing. So every game is different. So in a way you're always learning and having to adapt. So your experience helps because you've seen certain patterns before, but I think there's always, you're always challenged by, I think, whatever level you are, as we're seeing in the, in the Euros at the moment, you know, an yeah. underdog can be a, a bigger team and there's, there's different puzzles to, to solve all the time, which I find psychologically is, is refreshing. Well, that was, talking of fireside football, one of the big things that I saw there, and then with these things being stopped for, uh, you know, basically a year and a half, and I've spoken a lot about this, is um, the importance of guys that the socializing so it's you know forgetting the health benefits and what have you that mm. thing of actually being with a group of guys and i know last uh wednesday i was down in winchester for a mastermind event for for uh there was a seven or eight of us guys there and not only did we have a really powerful day of kind of business de decisions and coaching each other but we had such a great laugh and you know <laughs> took the best out of each other and talked yeah. about sport and talked about all random stuff and one of the guys said that he hadn't been to anything like that for a year and a half. And he's like, it was so good to just get out and have that kind of that feeling of guys getting together. And, and it's about friendships, I think, as well. Mm. I just wonder for you, it must be great fun in the studio, but also for this last year and a half of not having so much of that around. Yeah. I mean, this, we, we sort of we kind of went on a go slow first three months of March to June 2020 because sport was effectively suspended until the Premier League project restart. Although, in fairness, the, the UFC in the States was kind of a pioneer and some people thought that was controversial, but they got back up and running pretty quickly. And then yeah, the Premier League... Stadiums, wasn't it? Yeah, 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 in certain parts, yeah. yeah. In certain, I mean, the States is very different according to what part of America you're in. It's very different than the, the UK, although I know there's been a little bit of nuance with uh, Nicola Sturgeon in Scotland and what she likes yeah. to do uh, about two days later after the England, just to, make, just to mix it up. Yeah. But um, it's, yeah, that, so that was a different period. We were on the, on, in the studio alone. We are only doing half-hour recorded segments. There was less people in the office. That's gradually increased. It's nowhere near full capacity in terms of all the office workers, people who can work from home still are working from home. And that's been interesting from a production perspective. They've been able to do a lot technically from home now with, with yeah. high-speed internet and things, which is which is kind of cool where we are. But it's, um, yeah, I think it's a big thing, the social thing. It's, I've turned 40 a couple of weeks ago, and I suppose it's a period of analysis. And I've spoken to a couple of my friends who work more conventional hours than me, but are dads with young children as well. And they've talked about missing that friendship component. And it's something, you, again, cumulatively like your fitness or your health, that you kind of miss out on it over a period of years. And you sort of, put things ahead of it like work or family which yeah. i'm not saying you shouldn't put family ahead of it of course there are times when you should but there's that balance that, that yeah that balance and that importance for your health and i think something when we talk about gender i think it's really important i would never ever suggest that men were superior to women in any way in fact it's kind of i'm still learning off my six-year-old daughter so i'll kind of you know she's she's a lot more fully formed human being than i am i'm this sort of blunt blunt instrument that's trying to kind of understand women through my wife and my daughter but actually there is a difference in the way, and I was speaking to Leanne Sanderson, who is a former England footballer. She's a Sky Sports analyst, Arsenal legend, played for Juventus most recently. She's a striker. She got into football through her dad, and she said it was such an illuminating thing to be around him and his yeah. friends, and said, I was just shocked because they would just hammer each other constantly. But, she, but then it dawned on her that actually these are the people he really likes because he trusts them with yeah. that kind of connectivity. And actually, if you don't have those friends, because we keep saying, let's talk about things actually for a guy sometimes you need to go and play football 
and then take the mickey of each other in the pub afterwards having a pint. And that actually is more fulfilling and, and enlivening than going and speaking to, you know, quote unquote, psychologist shrink or whatever in a, in a room yeah. with a with the glasses on and a notepad. For me, sometimes, because you know, your friends closest to you will just bring you down. And actually for me, that's a really nice thing because if I've got any inflated ego about what I do for a living or anything, they'll just completely destroy yeah. that. The people that know you since your kids and then people you meet subsequently as well, you have, you start to, and when you start to get that kind of mickey taking that's when you start to feel comfortable it's a, it's a nice place to be i think it's a and it seems to be very different like i can't imagine my wife is like that with me actually it's funny we interact like that now but i don't see it with her friends how they interact i, I always think it's um you know i've been best mates with uh, with tom my my mate since i, I met him when i was in my uh, kind of mid-teens so you know over 25 years now and i realized with with really good friends you can say whatever you want yeah um, and not have to filter what you're saying or think, oh, I'm not sure how they're going to take it. And, and yeah, that's one of the things from even with the Whole Man Academy, you know, bringing the guys together through the, the then 12 events in London and then the 17 events we've done online was actually you had some, you know, some guys came alone to it. Other guys came with a group of guys. Um, and it was those friendships that when when we didn't have those events, that's where I'd get guys messaging saying, when are you going to do another one? Because it was just it was good fun. So it doesn't have to be deep and meaningful all the time. You know, we no. want to have, hence the podcast, you have guys like yourself who are, you know, at the top of their game in certain fields and you want people to learn from them. But yeah, just that thing of getting guys together and getting back with your mates is, um, you know, we, uh, what's the word? We're pack animals. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was interesting as a kid looking back that we always had at school sort of 10 or 15 friends, which is strange. My wife was three or four friends. I think that's anthropologically, that's quite consistent that men tend to have bigger friends groups where maybe you have the less intimate, you have your best friend maybe, but you have that that bigger group of mm. and banter. And maybe that's why we all become loudmouths. And I don't know, it's always sort of <laughs> like, you're trying to get attention. So you're, you're always talking and, and things like that. But it's, yeah, it's something, and particularly it, it is something that I say to people in my line of work, two biggest drawbacks, eight, First of all, love my job, get to speak about sport for a living, which is what I did as a kid. And in lots of ways, I'm still a kid because I'm doing that. So yeah. it's fantastic. But um, don't get to play as much sport, organized sport as I would like. Hence, I have to do the running and things like that because everyone plays sport in the evenings and weekends when typically I'm working. So this is a Thursday. I'll be working Friday through Tuesday now um, in the evenings, predominantly up to sort of 11 o'clock midnight. So where's the window to meet up with people if I'm going to spend some time with my family as well that's very very tricky to do that and, and men typically are lousy at meeting for a coffee or something that was really interested in that and that's slowly starting I think as we get to our 40s maybe we're, it doesn't have to be Jaeger bombs to make it a social occasion so <laughs> it's uh it's changed that dynamic but the so playing sports difficult and socializing becomes difficult so that's the, yeah. the two things that I find and I see people who build routine and things in their life and they have certain days, which I, if I have a weekend off, it's like, oh, it's a Saturday, you can relax. Whereas if I have a weekday off, there's a little bit thing, or should I be doing something productive or should yeah. I just chill? Because everyone else is working. So it's a, there's, a, there's a rub there sometimes. I'll tell you what, that's a really interesting point as well. I always, um, there's a few tangents here, but often, let's say you're coaching someone that says they don't like their job and they want to do something else and they have this dream of doing something. And often you say to them, well, you know, I want you to kind of put yourself in that in that job and understand or speak to someone that does that because for example with like working weekends and or, or late mm. nights I'm sure there'd be some I used to if I could rewind my life back I'd probably want to go into what you're doing because I wouldn't have been good enough to be a professional sportsman but to talk about it all the time watch it be fantastic but then you have people realize oh would I actually want to work weekends and late nights and not maybe not be there at the weekends and that's always one of those things like you know that's why it's great talking to someone like you because 
in different fields you can speak to people and you'd be like oh, i've always thought that i'd be good at that and then you realize that's not what some people could do so how was that for you when you start had had to work those weekends and how do you juggle the family life well i think when i was a single guy it was it was very comfortable in a sense because i was living in in london i was working at bbc london so even if i was working i'd work a saturday go to a game then i'd go out with my mates in the evening and, and get up and i had that energy and i had no commitment so i'd just wake up 10 minutes before i had to leave the the flat go up to work on BBC London on a Sunday as well or whatever it might be um so it was, it was comfortable then I, then I got into a relationship with my wife and it was it's a good she's my girlfriend and she moved into with me in London but it was like I was also trying to run a softball Sundays company and, and Sunday we're organizing softball games on Clapham Common at the time with a good friend of mine and it's like she was like so when am I supposed to actually see you because you do you work all the time nights and then you know I'm working in the day and then you're you know organizing other stuff on the weekend so that became attention where I had to be aware of it and I think since becoming a dad and actually the early years of becoming a dad when my daughter was preschool age it was actually quite good although she would twist my arm all the time and not go to nursery because she knew I was off so she knew nursery wasn't mandatory yeah. so it was like <laughs> but you know the kind of um the tears at the uh the floodgates at the um at the gates of the nursery so I'd end up taking her home or going to the park or something but um so she she played me pretty well but it was um it was that it was that time I think now when she's gone to school there is a tension because obviously she's off on the weekend not around during the day so I think there's a, a tricky tension yeah. there so I do have to to manage that and I have to use my holiday almost to to kind of structure that so I'll book weekends off not particularly for anything and that's something that's a positive of the last year is I've realized when you have time off I don't have to do anything it's quite cool because I've got relatives in Newcastle my brother's married a Geordie and in Surrey, sort of um, the other end of the country. So you can spend your time off diving around too much and actually just booking time off for, for normal family things and, and just to be there on weekends can be can be good. Yeah. And how do you, because it sounds like you've got a, like a lot of people that are listening to this, so have, a, you know, let's call it a busy life. And how do you find time for yourself? Is it through sport? Is it through, I know we, we could talk a bit about like either meditation or things like that. What, what works for you? Well, part of the thing I've worked on actually, and when my daughter was young, my wife and daughter would come down sometimes to London on the weekends um, and we'd sort of stay there but actually period of that was first time in my life I'd really been alone I was one of four boys and I was the oldest and had so I had my mum and dad and then I had three younger brothers and the house was pandemonium we'd all have friends over the weekends to be like we had this big house and um, there'd be like 30 people in our house on the weekend and it's sort of like I was used to this sort of noise and energy and I suppose yeah that's for me has been a big thing actually in terms of self-development because my wife needs alone time to recharge because she was the youngest of two but was five years younger so had a very quiet different upbringing so for me that period has actually been just getting used to being alone so actually that's never been something I found particularly appealing but actually I've had to do it and I do see now and I, and, and for all the mums who ever listened to it there probably won't be many mums listen to it but I realized the oftentimes the relationship you have with a baby is very is much more intense than than my relationship even now my daughter looks to my wife for a certain level of yeah. intense care that I don't have to do so I do appreciate that I don't quite empathize with the that need to have a complete break but yeah I think it's I think it probably is things like jogging exercise I think sometimes for me it's it's actually making sense in my diary because it's different every week and looking yes. at it and I, actually now I'm starting to talk about it with my wife a little bit she's like okay well you want to use this as a day off because you don't have these cultural signposts that say this is a day off Saturday it's Sunday you yeah. have to decide right it's a Wednesday but I'm not going to organize anything sort of work like on that, that Wednesday is that difficult and I, I say that because I know for myself when I went from a you know a Monday to Friday I mean yes I did sometimes work weekends with clients but you know weekends you were off you know not yeah not nine out of ten weekends you were off 
And then suddenly when I started working for myself and I was working a bit the weekends, if someone said, you know, should we go out for lunch on a Tuesday afternoon? I'd be like, no, I'm working. It's a work yeah. day. Yeah. To, yeah. to try and say, no, it's okay to have like an afternoon or a day off on a Tuesday found really alien to me. It does because you, but you're surrounded, aren't you? You've got people driving to work. You can hear them, see them doing yeah. it. You've got people on the radio saying, yeah, I'm off to work, texting yeah. into the, you know, it's, it's like you're suddenly a counterculture kind of feeling. And it is, it is different actually. I think it is. And I've got my daughter going to school so I can walk her to school. And then I, you come back and think, well, what shall I, what yeah. shall I do now? So it's, it's a tricky thing. You sort of have to think, well, I'll go for a swim or I'll do something and, and not see that as, as sort of idling. That's actually productive that's what people do they need to have a, a recharge and a rest yeah. so you have to but it is yeah psychologically it's interesting how much those cultural things are ingrained and I often played sport over the weekends as a kid so I wasn't like weekends was sort of sit on the couch or, or whatever it was but it was a yeah different and every day had a feeling I suppose Monday to Sunday whereas yeah. you have to create your feeling I think you know everyone knows what a Sunday feels like people kind of have an idea of a Monday and a Friday that excitement of finishing on a Friday it, yeah. it's different because you you don't get the highs and I suppose I don't get the highs and lows as much as other people because I don't have a and particularly because I enjoy the job I do but I don't have the the um the sort of Friday feeling I don't have the Sunday night Monday morning feeling either because my shifts yeah. are sort of randomly allocated over seven days so it's a that's it's a di different thing that's a really interesting one saying about you know what's the feeling of the different days I know with a guy I was doing coaching with who he was a professional guy working Monday to Friday and basically we took he wasn't particularly happy with the way that arrangement was. And this was pre-lockdown uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, or whatever we were, we were started on. But we got him to start working from home on a Wednesday. So he had a bit of a Friday feeling on a Tuesday. And he even said that he didn't have that Monday morning feeling so much because he knew he only had Monday and Tuesday at work. And then Wednesday, he had a bit more yeah. flexibility. And yeah, it's one of the things that most people don't think about what feeling they're going to apportion to a, um, a, a weekday. Yeah, now, you said about and we know we said we talk about being a father. Um, what was it like when you became a dad? Because it's so easy to be. Um, and I know some of the guys listening to this have been on our Zoom calls and said they were quite selfish in a, you know, there's nothing wrong with that mm. when you were single guy because you could get up and do whatever you wanted. But suddenly yeah. you've got one, two, you know, we've got two kids that are like, well, daddy, we want you to play with us. So we need to sort this stuff out. So what was it like for you? It, it was amazing. We wanted to be a dad for a long time and it'd be difficult to, to conceive actually for us, well, for my wife um, and for us, I guess. But it's it's something I've aspired for a long I was one of four. I was one of the big family. It looks like it's probably going to have one daughter, but she's she's amazing. And the moment she was born was was miraculous. But yeah, there's there's a lot of, it felt like, I think, being <laughs> dumped into cold water and sort of bit unable to <laughs> find your breath. And what, what I tried to do, you try and swim back to find the life that you had before and trying to kind of fit that in. But actually you have to realize that no, that's changed. It's a new life now and it's a journey and it changes all the time with them and you have to basically adapt. And I think that's difficult because I was what, 32, 33, which I know isn't that old by, by modern standards becoming a dad, but actually I had enough time as an adult working to formulate my own lifestyle. Yeah. And actually, like you say, quite indulgent. And, and, and in a sense, I think if I had kids at 22, I might be more adaptable because I was used to change. But I think you're less used to change as you get mm. into your late 20s, 30s, because you form yeah. a pattern. Yeah. And for me, it was like, whoa, this is so, so different. You feel like as a man, I felt, and I'm not a practical guy anyway, but I felt like suddenly completely out of my depth. My wife was, you know, completely devoted to this, this ball of, <laughs> of energy and crying. And it was like, well, what am I supposed to do? So basically what I could do was walk, walk her around in the buggy as often as I could just round the block and get her to sleep because she didn't yeah. like sleeping in the, in the cot. But it was yeah really humbling experience because you yeah. didn't really have a clue I didn't have 
the level of emotional dexterity at that time to sort of understand what my wife was going through to really help her in terms of and I think talking to blokes actually since when you have those big huge events you realize that a bit of knowledge from some older men would have helped about how women approach things how men approach things because when your wife's saying oh this is not right this is not right you know my family member's doing this or you always want to solve it whereas because it's like here's a problem how do I fix it and then you but then you realize that your wife doesn't want advice she just wants you to listen yeah so it's like but if you go to a bloke oh what car should I get because I'm doing you know 40,000 miles a year and what's good on fuel and etc they'll give you an answer yeah (laughs) but if you go to if you say like, you know, wow, I don't know how you should do that. How should you handle your mum? You should do this or do that. Or, you know, it's sort of like, yeah. it's kind of, well, that, and, you, and you also you have no idea really. You're just spitballing. So it's, but then you don't, but the, the whole point is you don't need to offer these solutions. But I think it's, it was an interesting, because you're kind of in it and a bystander when you're a dad, I think it's yes. a strange one. Yeah, that's a, it's an important point because, and also I know different guys I spoke to, if their wife maybe was or wasn't breastfeeding, if they were breastfeeding, then, you're maybe you feel slightly more redundant because the baby just wants mummy and wants boobs and which reminds me of my teens yeah. 20s and, and 30s yeah. but um whereas if you were bottle feeding then overnight you were more in the game because mm. you, you could do that side of it um and also it was about that i know with guys that we i've said before sometimes some of the guys felt pressured to say that the day their baby was born was the best day of their life whereas i said for me and i've said on many times like i was it wasn't the best day of my life because i was I was knackered. I was anxious. You know, you're worried for the baby's health, your partner's health, et cetera. Um, I just wonder for you, is it one of those where um, did you, uh, because I felt an overwhelming sense of love towards my children as soon as they arrived. um, And I just wonder for you, did you have one of those moments or um, was it kind of everything that you expected it to be? Yeah, it was actually, I found it certainly, especially initially and still to this day in lots of ways, very liberating because I think there is a vainglorious element to going to broadcasting. I, I think that's my reason for getting into it is love of sport and enjoyment of yeah. communication. But I think there's a sort of, you know, there is a self-centered aspect to it because you do, again, for my partner, I've, I've sacrificed, I've, she's had to watch me work weekends, et cetera. So it's been a different thing for her. I'm not going to family events with her, things like that. So it's a very centralized thing, but then actually realizing that you don't matter in a way. And this is the focus now. This, this is the person you have to put all your energy into and look after yeah. and make sure. And actually you're, feelings or your preferences don't really matter that much and it's, it, it is a big especially for mums my wife breastfed but she had an emergency cesarean it was actually very difficult she found breastfeeding with certain complications and she'd ended up we ended up doing a little bit of both but that was a difficult thing because I knew the health benefits of breastfeeding because yeah. of studying sports science my dad being a doctor nutritionist but it took someone actually sort of on the periphery of the family, it was my brother-in-law just saying, no, no, come on, let's go and get some formula and, and just balance it out. And that took, and I, you know, I regret that in a way that I didn't have that foresight, but yeah, it was a, it was a very traumatic event because it was sort of stretched over a couple of days. And, but even I remember being selfish was I remember saying like how I hadn't been given a cup of tea, almost like I was sort of like, <laughs> my wife was sort of having this gas and all this stuff. And I remember, cause there was a Jamaican midwife, an elderly lady who started and she was very, very, kind of relaxed and then basically the midwife changed it wasn't a very good wife it was an inexperienced midwife and yeah. the Jamaican lady had got me a cup of tea and sort of you know it was a different but it was sort of like you're so selfish it's interesting because the Cheltenham Wellbeing Festival I think it's directed this message to women but one of the slogans was self-care is not selfish but again it's like we like binary slogans and things but in a way you realize there's a lot of the things you did virtuously before aren't as virtuous when you become a parent. So yes. going to the gym for two hours in the morning and two hours in the evening isn't virtuous when your wife's at home with a baby. So it's like you and do suddenly learn, learn there is a balance. And that's where maybe 
jogging and things that are easy come in because you can put your shoes on and go for 20 minutes yeah. and come back yeah that that's one of those big things um where you know when 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 you become a dad you do have to change everything that you know for me you had to change most of the things that you were doing but you do learn a lot and you and you adapt which is always one of the things we say through the whole man academy is as, as best you can adapt to your mm. environment is um what's the saying adapt or die basically yeah yeah but, uh, well one of the one of the last questions we'll get on to before i let you uh, get on with your day was about um when you're interviewing people are there any of those people that you've interviewed who um I know you feel either slightly starstruck by or you feel nervous about because you've I mean I really enjoyed the, the talk we did with Johnny Nelson because he is uh for me to watch boxing since I was a kid so mm. it's quite funny being on a discussion with him as well but I just wonder what it's like for you when you're interviewing these people well yeah I think definitely interviewing people is a big thing I think for me it's surreal because I started watching Sky Sports News I think started in 98 when I was about 16 17 and I think at that time, a lot of the broadcasters have still been there to this day, like Mike yeah. Wedderburn, Julian. So that was quite a surreal moment to watch these people for the decades and then actually be working alongside them. And there's people still younger than me, a generation younger than me, who are now working there so as presenters. So it's a different yeah. experience. But it's it, it, that was that was all. I'm trying to think of people who have really starstruck me. It's a strange one. And it wasn't a starstruck per se, but my two of my best friends are Everton fans. So having David Moyes on set one year was really, yeah, but it was really strange because I was thinking, we used to talk about Moisey all the time and stuff. And then he's like sat there and you think that's a clash of worlds because it's this normal Scottish guy who sat on the set. And actually that was quite funny. And then my mates messaged me and said, oh, Moisey's on there. And that was just a, a strange, a strange, strange one. Um, I'm trying to think who the heroes, I have never interviewed, say Paul Gascoigne would be a hero from childhood. Uh, have I done, I think maybe like, Dwight York, I think I've spoken to, but haven't interviewed. So a lot of the Manchester United legends yeah. potentially would be would be up there. Um, but yeah, just bizarrely, like you might see, you know, Roy Keane in passing at Sky or something like that. That is very surreal because he was a, yeah. an icon growing up at Manchester United. Um, I, but yeah, it's, love, it's, it's straight, it's straight it. on air. You Roy Keane, because yeah. this is why I ask about the, the questioning, because it's also that thing of if you... You know, I know you shouldn't necessarily put anybody on a pedestal, but there's some people who you might interview who you have more interest in. I know you don't want to make a tit of yourself, basically. And I know I've interviewed some people where um, if they're an expert in something, you don't want to say the wrong thing and you know make yourself look, look like an idiot. But someone mm -hmm. like Roy Keane, you, I kind of feel like you'd have because he's quite deadpan and he doesn't take suffer fools gladly and what have you, even even when he's on live TV, you, he just kind of. He just says it as it is. So I just wonder what that's like when you're interviewing those kind of people. Well, I think you try and keep open-ended questions. So you don't try and get them leading eager questions that kind of presume a position or a fact or something like that that's not a fact. I think they'll jump on those sometimes yeah. and just say yes or no, and then it's it's over. So I think open, like, you know, how could Manchester United do better or something something like that, just try and keep it as generic as possible. Yeah. We do have often, if we're on Sky Sports News, because it's sort of non-stop, you have loose kind of um, templates of what people have drafted as possible questions. But then... Within that, I think a big factor is then your then your key thing is listening and not following doing a, a Ron Burgundy anchor man and just reading what the questions are because yeah. actually they may have answered it, they may have already intimated that they're not interested in that line of questioning. So if you start doing that, so I think and that goes to doing a podcast, it's a good experience for that listening. Yeah. And again, in your wider life, you know, I think as a broadcaster, I always maybe like talking when I was younger. I try and listen more now to people and I realize that particularly in my personal life, that's actually important at home is to listen to people. And I think hmm. That's a, a big factor. But yeah, it can be. I just try and keep it simple because I, you know, this, we have to cover every sport, Sky Sports News, including the American sports now. So you try and just ask questions that are almost applicable across sports rather than get too yeah, esoteric with the, the, 
the yeah. wicket, the wicket <laughs> lords or whatever it might be, or you know, because you yeah. think I played a little bit of cricket. I don't know the detail. That's such a sort of esoteric kind of you know yeah. geeky geeky sport to a certain extent. It's it's hard to try and delve into that world because you once you get exposed, it's it's just embarrassing. I think it's embarrassing to pretend to be a, an aficionado of something you're not. Yeah, so there's where you, you know if you're watching and you think they don't they don't know what they're talking about. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. Well, I'm, well, I'm glad. Um, uh, we've said that we'll play tennis at some point, and I'm glad. What I was going to say was that yeah. you weren't very good at tennis because I I like to think I'm good, but I haven't played for such a long time. So um, perhaps when we uh, when we get our diaries together, we'll have to have a have a game and have a have a coffee afterwards and a chat, basically. Yeah, that would be fantastic. Yeah, I haven't got don't I haven't got any sort of double backhand or any complicated yeah. grips or anything like that. I just try to hit it over the net, and usually I sort of normal summers I usually get kind of up to a certain level and then I'm rubbish again by the next year but it's just hitting I just like hitting it actually because if yeah. I play a match you tense up and you start dollying that second serve over the net and just uh, yeah. it's all it all becomes a bit like who hits the net first and who makes that, the mistake first that's when the pressure comes in isn't it because I've seen that where you know you can be uh, knocking the ball back towards and playing some great forehand you know volleys and backhands and this that and putting spin on it and then when you suddenly play a game and you're thinking about it suddenly you start you know you, you kind of tense yeah. up and the, the pressure gets to you so well, no, we'll let we'll let the uh, viewers know what the outcome of is of our um of our knockout. Definitely. So, and yeah. What's your plan for the rest of today? Rest of today, I've actually I'm going to go for a quick walk with my wife, and then I've got a driver's speed awareness course. So, Excellent. And, and luckily, I actually I've been to one or two over the past 15 years. I haven't actually managed to get any points on my license, so I've done quite well. Good. But I have to. But I actually quite enjoyed going to them in person when I was in London, when I was in Cheltenham. But now they're on they're on the magic of Teams, which is yeah. basically like Zoom. So yeah. I'm not sure how that's going to be. I'm going to be sat still listening to the same presentation. So that we'll see good. how that goes. But yeah, that's that that's it. And then I think, yeah, tonight I'm not sure. Just um, it's my sort of last evening off for a while, so I'll probably just try and relax and yeah. try and put the little one to bed. She'll want her mum to do it, but I'll make. <laughs> Yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll pile in there. Yeah, just to, I know, I mean, to get a bit of time for yourself before the uh, before the fun starts. And then your last prediction is how far do you think England will go in the old tournament? Ah, uh, well, Germany rears up so many psychological sort of scars yeah. from, from childhood. <laughs> but I looked at the Hungary game last night and I thought, if there is a chance to beat Germany in a major tournament, this has to be it. So I feel like we can get through there. And I believe there's a pathway where you end up with someone like Wales in the semi, if Wales can win through. So I think the pathway isn't too traumatic, but I may have got that wrong trying to read the UEFA website. But yeah. I believe, uh, I, I think we can, should get at least the semi-finals. Maybe a fi the final would be actually just great, wouldn't it? It'd be, a, it'd be a new thing to get to that final frontier. Yeah, I, I'll uh, I'll predict that we'll go out to Germany because I, <laughs> you know, you know what we're like. But um, but we'll, well, on that on that bombshell, I will let you uh, I'll let you head off. Um, but I, as yeah. always, I appreciate uh, all of your time. Um, and uh, and it's been good. You know, I've sat next to you at events, and you're a very knowledgeable guy. So perhaps at some point we'll uh, we'll have to do a bit of a round robin with James Golden on the podcast as well. Yeah, that'd be great. AKA underscore the fitness pro, James yeah. Golden. Yeah, he's uh, he's always good on lots of different things, and he's yeah he's pragmatic about whatever your goal is, and you you realise that in life is that everyone's different, and his fitness tips usually revolve around what your your ambitions are. But that's good. It, it, psychology is interesting about England and that national psyche because I was um, I was just in disbelief that France are unbeaten in six trips to Germany, four mm. wins, two defeats. I mean, I know they've got a great squad at the moment, but it just shows you, doesn't it? Maybe the yeah. Germans aren't as invincible as we make them out to be, but it's it's in our DNA now. That's the problem. Yeah, it's, I was just going to say, it's all in your head, base, isn't it? But uh, yeah, uh, well, we'll see. And, and also, well, I was going to ask you what your prediction was. I think England will lose probably like uh, 2-0 or something like that. So if you give us a prediction, then we'll, uh, we'll see how you get on. I think England will win 1-0, I'm going to say. 
one nil. Ed's going for one nil. I'm going for a two nil loss. A good, good positive <laughs> mental attitude. I can't, I can't go up by much after the basis of beating Czech Republic one nil and Croatia one nil. I can't go. Yeah. I can't go too wide. I don't think it'll be like the Netherlands at Euro '96. Yeah, it's not not a lot to go on. But uh, right, well, uh, I appreciate all your time, uh, my friend, and uh, hopefully we will uh, we will speak to you soon. Cheers, buddy. Thank you, Anthony. Well, that was quite a surreal experience chatting to Anthony Ashby about my career, actually. It's quite a rarity to do that. As I say, I've done it with students over the past years, journalism students looking to plot a path through sports journalism. It's kind of, like I say, a, a sort of vague and unclear path at lots of times, but it's often, you know, foundations of, of journalism qualification, but then a raft of different experiences. And going back to the United States for me through the years to local BBC radio to Sky Sports and different guises, rugby department, boxing department, Sky News, Sky Sports News in the UK, and still doing a lot of boxing, presenting, broadcasting on the side for matching boxing over the years of late as well, and presenting random sports as well, like temping bowling and, well, random to me anyway, and also the pool, the World Cup of pool I've done, so variety. It was good to, to reminisce with Anthony, those health principles of just little and often for me is exercise is particularly realistic in the context of doing quite a lot of driving for work, living in Cheltenham based in London, my boss, my work being based in London. And then uh, the sleep sort of requirements of my job in terms of sleep challenges, particularly when we had a baby a few years ago, that was uh, difficult when you're getting back at two in the morning and the baby's up all night and things like that, which my wife bore the brunt of. So I won't take any <laughs> too much sympathy for that. But nonetheless, it's an interesting conversation that sort of, thread of, of friendship being significant i know the whole man academy is big on that she's trying to find some sort of kindred connection for for guys who get to a certain age maybe and don't have those role models to to advise us because our fathers typically had different roles in terms of the sort of home work balance my dad was great and taking me to sports events always taking time off work to ferry me around and huge support but necessarily wasn't when I was younger required to do or expected to do certain caring elements that maybe we are now so it's a it's a complex picture but they're trying to provide that sense of guidance advice just fun as well I think it's big isn't it for me just getting connecting with friends old friends who can just reduce you to rubble just diminish any ego you have and just you trust them because you you know you've known them for so long and they're good people and that's always important for me to connect and it's a different dynamic that I see with my wife's friends but you know just the, that mickey taking Anyway, thank you for listening to the podcast. Thank you to the sponsors, Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham and Serene AV, who are specialists in some of the finest home entertainment brands, providing solutions based around high quality customer service and installations. Recording this wearing my fine Bang Olufsen headphones. Really appreciate those from uh, Jason and his team. And check out the store. It's a beautiful area if you are in the Cheltenham or the, this part of the world, Montpellier area of Cheltenham in the courtyard there. Really nice sort of shops and sort of boutiques around that place. And a great cafe actually called Gallimore's Kitchen just opposite them if you want some food or a good cup of coffee. But yeah, fine people and Bang Olufsen Cheltenham website. If you're further afield, check out the Bang Olufsen equipment. But remember through that company, Serene AV can source you bespoke home entertainment solutions, big screens, audio, televisual, I think that's a word, isn't it? Whatever equipment you're looking for and uh, just get in touch with them and they'll give you a, a quote that matches your vision, your budget. And also remember Cytoplan food-based supplements. I think we're all looking to optimize our immunity. Maybe there's been a wake-up call over the past year or so. It's our general state of health in the West for sure, in the US where I've got family in the UK. 
Um, maybe it's just thought about completing that picture with that's built upon good rest, good sleep, as we're talking about in that podcast, good exercise patterns, not, not necessarily ridiculously strenuous ones, but just lots of movement. And then potentially at the top of that, after you've got your nutrition, your, your food, your macronutrition, maybe looking at your micronutrition through supplementation. And if you would like to uh, experiment with some supplements, just look at what there is. I take Immune Complete 2, which is a holistic multivitamin vitamin. There's Immune Complete 1 for women who are menstruating as well has the iron that men don't typically need, adult men. But if you go to cytoplan.co.uk, C-Y-T-O-P-L-N-A-N.co.uk, West of England company based there, and they offer food-based supplements, and you can get a 30% discount off initial purchase, 10% thereafter with the code DRAPER10R, my last name, D-R-A-P-E-R, all capital letters, and then the numbers one zero and the capital letter R. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed it, appreciate it. If you could spread it, tell someone about it, pass it on. Also rate it on whatever platform you're listening to, iTunes, and I think 11 or 12 other platforms now, including Spotify. You can listen to Sport and Life if you so wish. But thank you for listening. I hope you have a great rest of the week and weekend, guys. Goodbye for now.